On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. This is Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. From the TCA studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Oh, mommy. Oh, daddy. I am a big old daddy. Here's your host. Me! Matt was a dummy and left his studio unlocked again. So, sorry guys. You're going to have to put up with me today. And maybe a little bit of Matt, too. But... That being said, if you don't like this one, you can go back and check out more on TallCanAudio.com and follow along at TallCanAudio on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, good. Yeah. So Matt's here too. What are you doing in my chair? That's, that's the captain's chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens when you put me in charge. I'm a little bit late. Yeah. This isn't good. Uh, How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Um, seriously, my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, it's mine now. Yeah. Uh, what's new, Amy? You haven't been in since, what, I guess just before Tokyo? Uh, not much, honestly. Just in recovery mode? Uh, basically, off-season mode. Yeah. Um, starting to ramp things back up. But no, it's essentially just off-season mode right now. Trying to get my fat ass back into shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you? I, I noticed you're uh, you're doing okay. You walked right by the donuts in the studio here, so you're doing. You must be doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah she's doing her best. If I eat one, I'll eat them all. All right, Matt. You know how we start things off. Mine's already open. What are you drinking? Uh, we are into something from the Bob Cajun Brewing Company down near the new cottage. Which uh, I'm not sure yet whether you and Ty are getting invited, but next summer uh, me and Lucas and Ryan are going to hang out there for a weekend. Oh, that's nice. It'll be fun. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Actually, you would be totally fine to just have them go away and leave <laughs> for a weekend, but um, you may get invited as well. But this is the Bob Cage and Brewing Company's Boathouse Red Ale. I think it says Red Ale. It's a Red Ale. Yeah, it's a Red Ale. Um, I have had this one once several years ago, but I didn't really remember much about it. It's much maltier than I recall. See, I'm bad with terms yeah. of beer, yeah. but I do like it. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because it's maltier. But yeah, it's, it's just not, a little thicker than a lot yeah, of reds, it's, right? And I just like that it's not as carbon. I did recently just learn, though, that I really like reds. Yeah. Um, Try the Vimy Red. It's awesome. I was drinking a Rickard Red. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is very oh, good. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's not as carbonated as other beers. And sometimes I dig that. Yeah. It just tends to go down smoother. Yeah, this has just got like a, a, a good, you know, it's a it's a, a big bodied beer, right? Like it's thicker than you'd expect out of a lot of reds. Yeah. So it's it's nice. I'm enjoying this one. Um, and you also, and uh, you know, we've tried a couple times. Uh, we've had something off the keg here recently, which is full for the first time in God knows how long. Um, we were into the Altschule, which I believe is German for old school, uh, from Whippersnapper, which uh, we grabbed right around Thanksgiving weekend and had a little bit off of it. What do you think of that one? That was good too. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's that's usually my type of beer is a nice, it was lager, right? Eh? Well, I think it's more like an ale, but... An ale, but, but either way, that's, yeah, that's usually... Kind of like a medium darkness. Like it wasn't really dark, but it wasn't a like light gold either. Like, yeah. I think they were going for like an Oktoberfest kind of thing because, you know, German and yeah, it's makes October sense. and whatever, but I kind of enjoyed it. Like it's been pretty nice too. Yeah. I, um, those type of beers are right up my alley Yeah, and I would love to describe it for the listener, but again, that's not my strong. Yeah, no, we've never claimed <laughs> to be experts about beer here. Just talking to people about what we like. Well, I don't so. know. I gave, I took a drink of a beer the other day, gave back to you because I'm like, oh, it's too hoppy. And yes. you're like, that's, that's not, not hoppy, hoppy at all. No. But it was too something. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so that's the Altschule from uh, Whippersnapper. It's kind of nice to have stuff back on the keg again. You need to say it more angrily though. Altschule. Thank you. 
to host. Thank you. They sound angry. Uh, I should mention that uh, for people interested in such things, on Friday morning, our friends uh, Graham Creech and Steve Bunda from TSN Radio are going to be here. Because, Amy, I know you're just as excited as I am about this. It is a fight week. Yay! Yeah, And that's what we're going to talk about for the next hour. Oh, no. good. Um, <laughs> UFC 267 goes down this Saturday. And actually, in a rare uh, kind of calendar move, UFC 268 is only a week later. So it was a great time to get the boys in. They will be here Friday morning. And Amy, uh, those guys have been coming on basically since the beginning of the pandemic to talk uh, UFC. But this will be the first time we get them in studio. It's, Ooh, that's exciting. I know. And uh, they've been wanting to get in. I've been wanting to have them in. And uh, so that's going to go down on Friday morning. You'll be able to check that out, as Amy said, at tallcanaudio.com or wherever you're listening right now. Uh, we'll tee up both shows, but it will be good to have them in studio. Yeah, see, and this is how you can tell the world is slowly getting back to normal. Yes. Matt's allowing people in. Yeah, because this place has been Fort Knox, basically, for the last <laughs> 18 months. Uh, nobody goes in, and unfortunately, nobody really got out either. Uh, it's just sort of how the world works. Um, Amy, Sorry, I have, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. You, did you say the fight was Saturday? Yep. Damn it, I'm busy. Oh. Ah, maybe this was the one. What about no. next Saturday? Oh, next Saturday I'm busy. Busy too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, this one was probably the only shot I was going to get to maybe try, have you try and watch it because most of the time they don't start until 10 p.m. and you've been in bed for hours by then. Easily an hour, yep. Um, this one is at 2 p.m. start because they are in Abu Dhabi. So uh, that's, you know, 10 p.m. over there is uh, 2 p.m. here. So um, nice afternoon card. You just sit down and watch people beat the hell out of each other on a nice Saturday afternoon. Huh. The day before Halloween. Are the boys excited for Halloween? They are. Yeah. They are. Yes. Ryan was telling me today on his walk to preschool that he uh, he can't wait to go trick-or-treating. And when it happens, he will go, oh my goodness, it's Halloween already. <laughs> so he, he has his He's lines. He's got his lines planned He's out. He's got them planned out. Yeah. I think there's a head slap in there too. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I got a bunch of questions here from listeners who've been wondering uh, what happened in Tokyo, both as far as results go, but also after months of telling everybody you're going to want to watch Amy and then having CBC actually step up and broadcast the games and you just sort of sat there for most of the time on the uh, bench. I'm pretty sure I stood. There was some standing. There was some a lot yelling. of standing. Um, and a lot of yelling. Yes. Yes. So... I'm going to hold that till the end because um, you know how the Thursday show works. It's similar to the Monday show. So uh, we have a bunch of things we want to talk about. Um, and I know you're in the captain's chair, but I might try and steer the ship just a little bit here unless you're, uh, you're going to fight me for the wheel. Uh, we'll get to you at the end of it. We got other stuff to talk about. And on Tuesday night, Amy, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but... I Ah, maybe we should set the table. On Saturday night, the Seattle Kraken have their first ever home game. Have you watched any of Seattle yet? Also, 10 o'clock starts. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Saturday night, Seattle has their home opener. And um, because they were the 32nd team to enter the NHL, and because they had 32,000 season ticket deposits on the day they went on sale, they decided to retire the number 32. Oh, that's kind of cool. Okay. See, yeah. I was going to put that out. Some people are liking it. I thought it was a little, yeah. Like, luckily, it's not like a popular number that a lot, like, I don't hate it. I just kind of like, it's a little silly or whatever. But you're trying to attract fans. You're trying to build a sense of history, all these things. I don't hate it, but I didn't love it either, right? So that's sort of the first thing that they did that shows they were going to be a little bit different, a little bit out there. Um and then on Tuesday night, the Montreal Canadiens come to Seattle for the first time since 1919. And in uh, 1917, they played for the Stanley Cup and Seattle actually won. Um, they were the you first. You sound surprised. Well, they were the first ever American team to win the cup. <laughs> uh, at the time, they were not in the NHL. There was no NHL. It was still the NHA, I believe. Um, but uh, they were from the Pacific Coast Hockey League. And uh, challenged Montreal for the Cup and won it. Um, actually, interesting enough, in 1919, when they played in the Stanley Cup, the series had to be stopped because there was, Amy, a global pandemic. <laughs> so the Spanish <laughs> it flu. It only seems fitting that they start this year. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so Montreal rolls in there on Tuesday night to play, and Seattle decides, you know what? We're going to raise another banner. We're going to put up beside our number 32 the 1917 
Stanley Cup banner. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously all NHL teams hang this stuff from their rafters when they win championships or divisions or conferences or whatever. Uh, in the Leafs case, for some reason, they have one for Bon Jovi. I'm not really sure what that the whole thing was all about. Um, what do you think? Because in some regards, I'm sort of like, this isn't even the same franchise. It was more than 100 years ago. At the same time, it is part of the city's hockey history, and you're trying to get fans excited and, you know, educate them about what's gone on in the sport. What did you think of Seattle hoisting a, a banner for a 1917 Stanley Cup? I like it for two reasons. Okay. One, um, if any team beats Montreal in the Stanley Cup final, <laughs> they need to host a banner. So whether that's in 1919, 1917, or... 2021. 1532. Like, come on. There wasn't um, much hockey happening in 1932. Not really. But had someone beat the Canadians then, yeah. I still would hang a banner. Okay, I like um, that. Yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah, that's where I go. Okay. You know what, I kind of... Um, but you only gave us one reason. Yeah, I know, because... The, <laughs> <laughs> the slight sidetrack, I just finished the All or Nothing series on Amazon Prime oh, there yeah. with the Leafs. Yep. So I got to relive uh, the playoffs Hating from last Montreal. year. Yeah, so it just kind of, you know, an, a, another dagger to them yeah honestly um and <laughs> and my second reason i think if your team has won a stanley cup yes you should be proud of it yes you should hang whatever the hell you want mm -hmm. to you know be proud of that right and just you're showing seattle what you were then yep. and what you can be a little bit of your history right i allow me to tell you why i'm a raging hypocrite about this <laughs> yeah well even if i didn't want to hear it i'm sure you'd let me know uh, yep uh, for sure. Huh. There's not many things that I... That you hold back on? Right. Um, whether you want to hear them or not, you usually mm -hmm. get to hear them. So, I have for years given shit to every Ottawa Senators fan because they have done the exact same thing. Their team died in like 1930, came back in 1992, and they claim, I don't know how many, they have a couple of Stanley Cups and they're celebrated... Like it's the same team, but it's not. You lost your team for like 60 years. Uh, couldn't get one back. Couldn't uh, support it back then in the 30s. Now, a lot of crazy shit going on in the 30s with the Great Depression. Not going to really evaluate what Ottawa was like as a hockey market back then. Wasn't quite born yet. Um, but it has felt like, come on, you don't get to take credit for stuff that was under a completely different franchise, right? But why not? Well, that would be the argument of the Senators fan that, you know, that I have this conversation with the most. That's just what I, it, it's just part of the rivalry, right? Fuck you. You actually haven't won any Stanley Cups with this team is sort of the, the stance I take, right? Here, because I'm a raging hypocrite, it's a new market. It's a new team. Like for some reason, I feel like Canadian markets shouldn't need that crutch, right? That introduction to our history of hockey and all these sorts of things. Like Ottawa hockey fans know what's gone on and what hasn't and Whereas in Seattle, where you're starting a new team, I feel like, you know, it's okay. It's an American market. They haven't had hockey for a very long time. I don't know. I'm willing to give them a bit more of a... I still think it's a little silly, but I'm willing to give them a pass because it's new to them. And I probably just because I hate Ottawa. <laughs> really. Yeah, that is screaming hypocrite. Okay. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> so you're you're I, okay I, with I, Ottawa doing it too. Yeah, because yeah. even then, yes, it's a different fran franchise. They lost their team, blah, 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 blah. But, it, you know, especially if you bring in those younger guys, a new, you know, an, a new team you're starting from. Yeah. And you're just, you're kind of hanging out. You're doing your pregame skate. You look up in the rafters and you see all these banners. And it's like, okay, you know what? Clearly hockey was something big here and before. Yeah. And... You know, that could be that extra little push. I think Granted, that's an interesting I, point I hadn't thought about. I think when you're getting paid millions of dollars, you shouldn't need an extra little push. But no. I mean, we've seen... Talking to you, Mitch Marner. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you on that, though. I think that's an interesting point that, you know, for this new team with new players and stuff coming in and you look up in every other arena you go to and there's banners and stuff hanging there and yours is just like barren. You know, maybe this does help Naked. create... Yeah, it does help create a little bit of a sense of... Um, sorry, <laughs> naked. I can see you're cracking. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, maybe it does help create a little bit of sense of history. And I just thought it was a, I don't know. It all seems a little bit silly, but maybe no more silly than some of the Southern teams when like they first 
came into the league, like the e announcer actually had to come on and say icing and then explain what icing was to the people in the building. You're like, oh, it's a little cringe too, right? But that would be awful. It was a little bit kind yeah, of gross. That but, would be bad. But again, I guess you're trying to introduce new people to the game, right? <laughs> so uh, there's a couple other places we could go here, Amy. We talked about a few things. We both referenced the Leafs now once. I don't want to spend a ton of time on how things have gone. It hasn't been a great start, but I did want to pick your brain as an athlete on the idea of just what one guy can do to the confidence of a room. And I want to talk about Hutch, our third string goalie. That's where things are at in Toronto. We're complaining about even our third string goalie, or at least I am. And they had him in the 2018-2019 season and 2019-20, I believe, as their backup. He was awful. I mean, he was just terrible. And the team clearly wouldn't play well in front of him. Uh, you always felt like any shot you allowed was just going right in the net. So he got traded away at the deadline in 1920 to Colorado to be their third stringer. Uh, then in the playoffs, both of their goalies got hurt and he had to play in uh, the conference finals, I believe it was, or maybe the second round. But he played okay. So then Toronto brings him back that summer for some reason. Um, they sign him to be their third or fourth string goalie down in the uh, on the Marlies. And I was sort of okay with that because how often does your fourth stringer ever make it into the NHL? I'm going to say not that it's often. It's not that often, right. And so whatever. He's a minor league goalie. You're not going to see him. Who cares? Well, then Freddie gets hurt last year. Then Campbell gets hurt last year. And they lost Arundel on waivers. So here's Hutch back <laughs> in your net. And if we're being fair, played pretty well. Had a 919 save percentage. Um, you know, played as well as you could reasonably expect a, a third string goalie to play. And you were like, all right. Maybe we're we're over this story. Uh, he's supposed to be the third stringer again this year. Peter Morazic gets hurt in his first start. Um, the Leafs have a back-to-back where they don't want Campbell to play in both of them. So in goes Hutch. And Hutch gets lit up pretty good. Uh, and then the next night he gets dunked on a couple of times in the third period when they pull uh, Campbell in that 7-1 loss. They're not playing for him again, Amy. They're not playing very well in front of him. And I'm just curious, from your experience, is it possible that this guy that you know can't do the job is in the other players' heads? Is it possible that this changes the way they play? If they don't think they can take a chance because he may not make a save, like what might that be doing? Uh, And, you know, I'm sure there's been moments, not sure if there's any names you want to bash over the head here (laughs) from your own career. But that you have had, you know, someone in a position where you know this is over their head and what that does to the rest of the team. Yeah, I don't disagree with it. I think it can have a big impact mentally because, I mean, I've, I've, I've been there. Um, it hasn't necessarily been third string players um, as the depth in our country is not that great. Right. Um, but there's been times where people go through slumps and, you know, they're having couple months or longer or whatever <laughs> where that's just they're not performing to where you know they could be and should be right and then when you're on the court with them and I mean I don't know if Hutchie here has a negative attitude or whatnot but just yeah knowing that hey shit if they the ball gets thrown at them we have like a 90% chance of that going in the net right and then you're concentrating more on that than your own game and um so can that take you out of your game? I think so. Doing? Yeah. yeah, I totally think so. Because you're putting all that energy into something else that you shouldn't even be worrying about. Right. Right. And yeah, I definitely think it can have an impact. Um, but then that's something that needs to get addressed. Um, and I mean, this has been, I'm obviously not going to name names, but this has been forever ago. So it's definitely passed for us. But um or for me, but because um, <laughs> I, I can't say what other, I don't know how other people felt. Sure. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that has taken away from my game, but it definitely is uh, insanely frustrating when you're putting the ball in the back of the net, knowing that we could still be letting up four, five, six more goals when we shouldn't be. Right. Like you're late in the second half of your game. It should be 6-1 against this opponent. They're an inferior opponent, you've scored five out of the six goals, and instead of it being 6-1, it's 6-5, and you're still having to bust your ass to, to beat this team that shouldn't still be around. Is mm-hmm. that sort of... The- yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, and there is times where people definitely just have a bad game, but when it's... For about con- three years. Well, when, and that's the thing, when it's consistent, though, is when I think it also impacts the other players. 
is it fair that that's the case? Like, if we're talking about Hutch here, who is a third stringer, or maybe on your team, you know, there's a backup or somebody, and someone else is hurt, and you, like, Michael Hutchinson knows himself, I'm not a starting goalie in the NHL. I'm a career minor leaguer, um, and I'm getting blown out here because I'm not good enough for this. And yet, here I am. This is the job I'm being paid to do right now because the other guys are hurt or tired or whatever's going on. You know, is, is it fair for fans or even teammates to to be given... I'm not sure they're giving him shit. I don't think they're being hard on him, and I don't think he's a bad guy that's disliked in the room. I just think they know when they go out, oh, we're in trouble here. Like, Mind you, the Leafs can have an all-star starting goalie, and they're sometimes still in trouble. Yeah. So had this been a different team... I think maybe you could say it, but because it's the Leafs, you have no freaking clue. Right. <laughs> and I'm not trying to bash them. I'm just saying like one day they're hot and one day they're cold. So it's... A lot of days they're cold, right? Now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Waiting for those hot ones. Uh, do you think... Let's just say you you can find another guy. He's just another hutch, right? He's playing for Columbus's farm team. He's just another third string goalie. You don't assume he's any better, but he's probably not any worse would you make a trade just to spice things up a little bit? Well, yeah, just change, change the up. vibe, right? Like now we look at this guy and we just know we're in trouble. Maybe the new guy, we're probably in trouble, but we don't know we're in trouble. Right? Well, and the new guy could necessarily, like he could basically want to make a name for himself too, eh? Yeah. You know, you come to a new team and again, not saying they're not trying hard, mm-hmm. but you just put that extra little push into it. And yeah, I, I don't, I mean. Would you see like on in from your career, like is there a time where you as a leader or a captain would go to a coach? Like, do you think it's on John Tavares to go and say, This isn't working? Like you have to find something else here to make this happen, or is this something that has to be just left to the coaches and management to notice for themselves? Well, not that we can trade players, but I've went to coaching staff before. Yeah. And we've talked about players. Right. So I mean, as as a leader of the group, I don't see I don't see anything wrong with that. Especially if it's uh, impacting the confidence of the group. or Like, I just wonder if it's more confidence that we just start this game knowing we're already in trouble, or if it's more that you generally change the way you play because you know you better get back and defend better. So maybe Mitch Marner doesn't make that extra pinch at the blue line, or you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't do the thing. The Leafs are supposed to be this high-powered offensive machine, and if you don't take the risks to create that offense you're not really anything plus the pucks going in the back of your net. So you need that offense more that you're not pushing for. I I just wonder whether it becomes just a general confidence thing or an actual awareness. I have to change the way I play today. I bet it's all mental. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get them on the line. Yes. To see if Johnny T wants to come on and and talk to us a little bit. Let's see. You're supposed to be the athlete insider here. So uh, I'll contact my people. Okay. Yeah. I contacted my people. She's sitting across the table and telling me to contact other people. <laughs> You'd trade them? Yeah, why if not? Could, just for another third stringer, just why to not? change it up. Yeah, if yeah. it doesn't hurt anything. If it's possibly not going to make anything worse, why not? Right. I mean, it's it's no different than juggling up the lines, right? In my mind. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm not sure how much you followed this story out of the NFL this weekend, but to me, it made me kind of laugh. And so we're going to bring it up here. Uh, if you could pull up the article there, because I'm going to forget the guy's name. If I could pull up the article. Uh, the There was a game featuring the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and one Always Mr. Tom Brady. And uh, he throws his 600th career touchdown. That makes Woo-hoo. him the only man in the 600 TD pass club. Uh, no one has ever done this before. So it's obviously a huge moment. Uh, he throws the pass to receiver... Michael Evans. Uh, Michael Evans throws the ball down, does a nice flex, and then turns around and sees a fan sitting in the first row behind the end zone wearing a Michael Evans jersey. And in the brain fart of all brain farts, because he probably either has forgotten or isn't aware that this is Tom Brady's 600th career touchdown pass, he runs over and gives the ball to the fan. Nice fan. Nice guy. Yeah. And I'm sure Brady was probably sitting but no. Because Brady for sure knew that this would have been his 600th career touchdown. So um, a few minutes later, some nice people from the team come down and uh, speak to the guy who had the ball handed to him, Mr. Brian Kennedy, who's suddenly very famous uh, out of nowhere. And they ask him, would you mind giving the ball back 
And uh, he's wearing, like I said, a Michael Evans jersey. I don't know if the fan at the time knows that it's Brady's 600th career uh, touchdown. But he's sort of like, well, you know, this is pretty cool. He brought me the ball. And so they work out a deal like we'll get you some swag and stuff. Well, Amy, we've seen since then there are auctioneers and people who specialize in sports memorabilia saying that football online and at these auctions was probably worth somewhere between five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars yeah that's unfortunate and he's like life-changing <laughs> money that he just handed back and like i said you don't know in the moment how much he's aware of even if he knows exactly what this ball is i'm sure he doesn't know it's worth that much right it would be worth something um, but he also kind of says that he's been interviewed a few times, like, I'm not really an asshole. Like, I was willing to give it back, but I kind of wanted something in return, which is pretty common. Like, if if you get a puck or a baseball that's important or whatever, the team will normally come talk to you and hook you up with some autograph, this and that. Or, a nice stick. Sure, you know, get to meet the guy after, whatever it might be. So the deal that this guy actually ends up with uh, is a signed, uh, two Brady jerseys, I believe, and a helmet. Um autographed he gets the michael evans cleats that he wore that day and i think also a jersey a signed jersey yeah um two season tickets for the rest of this year and all of next year and this one for some reason made me laugh it's a thousand dollar gift card for uh the bucks store which it's a total write-off for them like a thousand dollars is nothing you go in and buy like two jerseys and you know it won't take long to blow through a thousand bucks but anyway that's the package he ends up with instead of five hundred to seven hundred thousand um, dollars. Are you before you know even that it's worth five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars? But your favorite players has handed you the ball, or it's an Iggy puck, probably your big Jerome McGinley fan. Ah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can, and someone comes to you and says, you know, it was his thousandth point. He'd really like the puck if it somehow got flipped over the glass or whatever. Are you giving it back, or probably. are you negotiating? No, or? I think I'm giving it back. Yeah. Yeah, I would feel like a dink. And I'm nice. Yeah. I, I like, would, are I, you asking for something, like a sign stick know. or something? Well, I, I would just assume they'd offer me something. A key card to his hotel room? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I would just be under the assumption that they would offer me something. But I think I would just be like, yeah, okay, have it back. Do you think this guy's feeling some regret right now? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, he got a nice little package. It's we're not. still talking about Iggy, or are we? No, uh, uh, he's old. <laughs> yes. um, he's al- he's always been this much older than you. Yeah, but never... now he's older. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that big forehead's getting wrinklier and wrinklier as we go. Uh... Wonder what he's doing. Did you see? He was on the news last winter um, in Boston because I believe he and his family settled there because yep. he did play for the Bruins for a little while, and I believe they stayed there. So he's on the news. Um, some, they're having a huge like blizzard or snowstorm and they just are talking to random people on the street or, you know, who are yeah, trying to drive through. the reporter had no idea who he was. No, just interviewed him as just a man on the street struggling yeah. with the blizzard and everybody else is watching like, it's friggin' Jerome McGinley and this yeah. guy has no idea. Yeah, no, I would have, yeah, I would have known. <laughs> yes, I bet you would have. Yes, I watched, I laughed. Glaring at his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I think her name's Kara. Is it? Yeah. I think so. Um, I'll be honest. If I knew that was his his touchdown, like the 600th career touchdown ball, I'm keeping it for now, but I need to get out of the stadium right away. Well, yeah, because you're going to get mauled. Yes. Everyone else around me also knows what this is and what it might be worth, but also maybe is upset, you know, if they've seen me not give it back, right? If you didn't know, would you give it back? If I didn't know, well, then why do they want it? Like, this is the thing. When you someone comes down and says, Tom would really like to have that ball, and I'm going to ask why. Like, what is so special about this touchdown? He's thrown 600 of them in his career. And yeah, so now I, I, don't, my I don't know if that would cross my mind. No, but to me... You're not evil enough. <laughs> no. See, but to me, I think a jersey is better than a football. Yeah, but this is the game used... <gasps> Ooh, you could ask for Tom Brady's jersey that he wore that I think, day Ooh, you could get you could get a lot of money for that yeah yeah but probably not as much as for the football eh. again and we're talking about if you know versus yeah, if I you know. don't know yeah. uh, maybe you want to date with his wife maybe. she's a supermodel she is very lovely um how much is that football worth good. to him 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm when they come and say, can you give it back? If I know what it's worth, I'm asking, or I'm saying, maybe. First, I would like you to provide me security <laughs> to help me leave right now. <laughs> and then we will, I need to get this ball home into a vault in my storm cellar or something. And then we can talk. But I, I think, yeah. To, to, to I the, need to call Amazon. This is life-changing money. Like five hundred to $700,000 if you're just some working stiff. I don't know, man. That's awfully hard. And now to just get like, yeah, here's some autographed shit and a $1,000 gift. At least give him like five grand at the gift store. Like, you know what I would have done? Well, I'd have let him into the store at, after close at like 9 p.m. Have what you want. I'm going to turn my back and you just... Clear it out or whatever you want, man, and that, and we'll call it even at that point. Like, I yeah, don't know. it's tough, but yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think it would have crossed my mind to be like, why do you want it back? Yeah. And the nice folk in me would have been like, yeah, okay, here you go. <laughs> that's Granted, why, that's why you're a sucker. <laughs> so, was, what is the equivalent to you? Would it be like Iggy in his thousandth point or something? Ah, uh, no, I don't know. No. Like, well, I guess that means a lot to them, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it would ha- yeah, but then even you don't really have a favorite athlete right now. No, not since Iggy retired. No, not really. Um, I mean, I guess we could say Kyle Busch from NASCAR. Okay. So I mean, like, I think that's I watch more NASCAR than anything else right now. So <laughs> yeah, we don't um, have NASCAR on our agenda here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I could be Lucas could be your insider. Yes, Ryan too. I'm Man. starting to notice that he's telling me who's winning and losing races, and well, and he'll be glad to tell you right now that Mummy and Daddy are in first place in the NASCAR pool. Wow! Woot woot! With two races left, to go. he was happy to tell me the other day that Mummy keeps losing in the hockey pool. Who, Ryan or Lucas? Ryan told me that. Yeah, poor Lucas hasn't even gotten a chance yet. Um, I don't know, man. To me, this is a life-changing money kind of situation, and I would have had a hard time giving it up for some signed swag. And Tom can afford. If you knew about it, though, see, that's the thing is you don't know if the guy knew about it. Okay, well, if you knew, if you knew, then okay. I would I would have a hard time giving it up. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I, I, it's not my responsibility necessarily to just be the good Samaritan here. Tom can afford to give me more than a jersey if he wants this bad enough. He could probably give you like 500000 Yes, he easily could. And still take you out for dinner. <laughs> Let me in. He could pay for me and his wife to go out for Evans probably felt like a douche though. How would you like to be that? Eh? Cause, yeah. And you wonder how long before he figured it out. Like, yeah. was it when he get back to the bench or ah. was he like turned? To me, I like to think of it more like he gave the guy the ball, turned around and took like one or two steps and went, Ugh! no. <laughs> and, then, and then goes and requests to be traded. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Tom is never I, throwing me the ball again. I need security to get out of the Yeah, stadium. exactly. Another person who... And not only is Tom never throwing me the ball again, he's never for sure throwing me the ball again on anything important. Something that could win a big game, a landmark accomplishment, nothing. I will not see this ball ever again for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Brady probably won't even keep the ball. It'll probably get put into like the hockey... Not the Hockey Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame or something. Well, apparently this one was important to him because no one else has ever done it before, right? And so I don't... Like, you're right. Most of these athletes have so much crap, right? Like, from all through their career, record-setting this and game-worn that and whatever. Apparently, this one was important to him because he's the first quarterback to ever do it. Okay, then he probably will keep it. Probably. That's my football knowledge. Um, should we talk about Amy? There's probably more knowledge there, right? Uh, there's some. Yeah. Uh, you. Let's start with the uh, the easier stuff. We talked plenty before you left on this show about, you know, what the games were going to look like because of the pandemic, you know, there was going to be testing, there was going to be no fans, you know, what the village restrictions might look like just in sort of a general sense. Was it what you expected and and how did the whole thing go? What did it look like over there? You know, ultimately it was what I expected. Um, but the hardest part I think was the village atmosphere. Um, yes, you know, what's going to go down and, and all the restrictions and all that stuff, but until you're actually in it, and I remember walking from, um, we were on the floor, we were on the fourth floor, third floor, fourth floor, fifth floor, I don't know, fourth floor in our building. And um, so we just took the stairs all the time, but it was kind of like, um, like when you go to a resort, right? So mm-hmm. you come out of your apartment and you're outside. Yep. Um, so. Or like a cheap motel. Or I guess so, just, <laughs> yeah, just souped up. Yeah. 
And um, normally when you would come out of your apartment, it's just loud everywhere, right. especially at night. Um, just because, you know, the events that <clears throat> the, the athletes that get medals on the first night and whatnot, there's always loud commotion somewhere. Right. And I swear Somebody's to God. celebrating, congregating. Yeah. There's yeah. usually a party somewhere. Right. You know, and it was dead quiet every single night. Hmm. And it was so weird. Like I remember, um, I was on the, the third floor, I was leaving the physio clinic and I was walking up the stairs back to my room. And uh, some of the CPC staff was there and, you know, they were like, hey, Amy, how's it going? I'm like, it's good. You know, it's still kind of weird. Like, it's eerie feeling here, right? And they're right. like, well, that's a pandemic for you. I'm like, yeah, I get that. But I mean, it's still weird. Like, you know, we knew there was going to be daily testing and... and you get your brain tickled? Yeah, we spit in a tube. Oh, okay. Which apparently some people found that to be worse than sticking things up their nose. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's weird. Like spitting? No, I mean, those people are weird. Yeah. They're wrong. Yeah. yeah. Like, what's what's wrong with spit? Yeah. Apparently, that grosses a lot of people out. Okay. <clears throat> Not me. No. And um, where was I going with that? Yeah. It was you just- You were passing uh, the CPC stuff. Yeah. And, and it was just like, it was quiet every night. And Grant, I mean, only half of the Canadian team was there um, at the beginning. And then- um, That was because of the restrictions. Yeah. On, for people who were competing the second week. You couldn't they, show up early? No, right. and it was just easier for people to, because they couldn't train really either, eh? So yeah. it was better to just have your staging camp elsewhere. Um, and yeah, there's that rule. I think you weren't allowed in. Um, I think it was three days before your competition. And you had to be out 48 hours after. Yeah. So there wasn't people hanging around after they had exactly. finished. Um, but um, yeah, I think it was the middle of the games. It was the busiest night in the village. And it was because it was the huge turnover. From some the athletes from the first, it was a good chunk coming in and a good chunk coming out. Right. And, um, but yeah, it was just like, uh, you know, we were fortunate enough that we got to still go to the dining hall. Some, I know Australia weren't allowed to go to the dining hall at all. All their food was brought in and they had to eat in their building and stuff. But the dining hall was still like, it was busy, yeah, but way less busy. And it's normally a hub. Like it's normally packed during a normal games. Yeah, yeah. Like it's annoying at times going to eat. Right. Um, and this was fine. You know, we got to sit in the same area every time. Uh, it was only maybe once or twice. There was other people at our table. Um, whereas before it's, you know, as soon as all the teams are there, it's just chaotic, eh? Yeah. Um, so at, as for the, the arrival and things, what is it like when you fly into, you know, Tokyo? F I know you had a camp somewhere else first, but clearing into the country and all the testing that had to go on there. What does that look like? Insanely easy. Holy Jesus. Um, we spent hours back here in Canada with paperwork and making sure we had everything right down to the T for where we were staying, how long. Um, we had to have a whole plan that was approved by the Japanese government. We had all these apps down. It was called an Ocha app. And uh, so we all had like basically our whole lives in this one app. And so we show up at, uh, in Tokyo and we get off the plane and, um, you know, we were told it could be anywhere from three to eight hours in the airport. <sighs> we were on the bus heading to the hotel two and a half hours later hmm. because we had all of the paperwork done. Um, so it wasn't that it had been overkill here and, you know, building this up too much. It was that you had done so much prep that it, it all went smoothly. That and the fact that. Um, we flew into Haneda as opposed to, or we flew into the one as opposed to the yeah, other major. two major international airports. Yeah. There. And the other one is more of the international airport. Okay. So we were in the one that's a lot of domestic okay. um, flights. Um, so the Turkey team was actually there right when we landed mm -hmm. and they were all just sitting there. Cause you can tell they're all, you know, trying to fit, you know, add everything into this app. And we just walked right by them, went and got <laughs> tested. And the longest part was just waiting for your test to come back. Right. Cause we literally went from one station to the next because all of us had all of our information in and it was all done correctly. And we were leaving the holding area where you had to hang the out. Holding area sounds so nice. Yeah, like where we're all just laying yes. on the floor now, waiting for our COVID test to come back. And when we were leaving, some members from the Turkish team were just starting to come through, Oof. and they had already landed before. Like I don't know how early, yeah, earlier before us, but so it couldn't have been a more smoother I don't know. I transition look at your through group the airport. And your team and surprised everybody did their homework to be honest with you. Oh man, our physio was all on top of it. <laughs> okay. Like she was our um our COVID liaison. Right. 
And we had so many meetings leading up to it. And even just sitting in the Vancouver airport before our flight, we ended up having to go back into the OCHA app and changing a bunch of things. And it was just like, it was crazy. Right. And then because you technically have to enter a 14-day quarantine when you enter the country, um, we flew into Tokyo. And then the next night we were flying, or the next morning we were flying to um, Sapporo. Yeah. Um, just because they didn't know how long we were going to be going through everything. So they didn't want to have a connecting flight and let us miss it and all that sort of stuff. But Sapporo was for a training camp before yeah. the games. Yeah. Yes. But it, so just uh, with the whole entering the country and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we weren't allowed to be near the Japanese public. Right. So Because you're dirty. We're dirty. Yeah. yeah. Even though we've had X amount of COVID tests done before going and right. whatnot. Um, we had like backdoor entrances through everything. Like taken around away from the public. Yeah, yeah. Like we didn't have to stand in a single line at the airport. They didn't check our passports. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like it was crazy. Like I feel like you should not be able to re- move so smoothly through the airport. Right. Um, but it was awesome. And even even our bags, you know, we weren't allowed to go to the baggage carrier. Or no, they had our bags come in some into a whole separate area of the airport. So there was just no communication, no... No crossover with the other no, passengers. Like, yeah, it was crazy. Like we saw the airport staff that kind of hurled... And even at one point, I didn't realize they were getting us all to get back into this little area. And I thought the one girl was trying, like, doing a dance in front. You know, like, when you're going to walk in front of someone and you're both shuffling? Yes. So we, it seemed like we were doing that. And then I kind of, like, went around her. And they all just yelled at me and grabbed me and pulled <laughs> me back in. And then I realized, oh, shit, I'm not supposed to be right there. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, I was pretty sure I was close to being kicked out before I even got there. Yeah, back on the same floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was fun. Well, normally, isn't, like... One of the things you hear so much is that the volunteers at most of these games are incredible, right? And friendly and helpful. Like, and now you're talking about one, and I get it, they're just doing their job, but corralling you back into your quarantine zone. And like, it it had to feel a little different to just, you know, not be able to fully interact with the way, and I know obviously you still saw some of these volunteers that were working the games, but it just, like, what did it, the whole thing had to feel a little different. Um, the whole games and... Yeah, it did. Um, in the sense of, I think it's more of just the spectators. Yeah. Like, because even, even still, the volunteers interacted with us. Right. Like, um... Not saying we let our guard down because we definitely didn't, but, you know, obviously we made sure everybody was still six feet apart and whatnot, but there was lots of talk between us and volunteers and, and, um, to go back to our training camp part, we had a bubble. Right. And so we had three Japanese, uh, people in our bubble. So we had the city of Sapporo rep, uh, translator girl and, um, some other woman. It's a pretty name. Translator girl. Yeah. Her name is Kiko. (laughs) Kiki. Okay. Kiko. Yeah. Very nice. Very yeah. nice lady. And, um, but like, so even how we did the whole trip with them made it feel like just the exact same. So even once we got to the village <clears throat> and the venue and everything, it was, it all felt the same except for, cause normally we can, there's the athlete part of the venue right? that no spectator, anybody can get near. And even in normal games. Yes. Yes. And we always leave that area. Right. Um, whether it's we were going up to the stands to watch or we're just walking around the outside because there's usually concession stands or merch and we like to roam around. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that happens, you're getting hounded by people because they want their picture taken with you. Right. And so if you needed to just run out and grab something and you knew it was going to take you about two minutes, you probably had to schedule 20 minutes because you were going to be just asked that many times to get a picture with all these random strangers. Right. And so that part was... <laughs> To that, not have that. That was nice to not have to do that, right. to be completely honest, because it just took so long. Right. Um, so, but that was a huge difference. Hmm. And, um, and granted, actually, we didn't leave anywhere other than our change room, warm up room back on the bus. Right. So. So let's talk about you. The, uh, the team didn't do so well. Didn't no, end up making the playoffs. We did not. Um, you exact. didn't play a no, whole lot. No, I did not. What the hell happened? Um, well, our team sucked. Um, and well, let's, I meant what happened to you. Why <laughs> oh, didn't you me. play? Well, I got hurt in Sapporo at our training camp. No one knows what happened. Well, we think just, you know, some muscles in my back got some little bit tight mm-hmm. and they did not want to relax. So that was the Wednesday. We were heading to the village on the Saturday. I can't give you dates because I don't yeah, know them now. No. This was the Wednesday before leaving to go into the village, which was Saturday. And, um... Yeah, it was just hurt my back. 
and it was after I threw a ball and then um, I actually felt bad because I thought our physio was on my post mm-hmm. and she wasn't. It was the uh, uh, Sapporo political official guy, like the city rep. Right. So he's on my post and I'm like, ah. Oh. For people who don't know, that just means working on Amy's. He's just he, helping run the practice near Amy. Yeah. He's just hanging out on the net yeah. next to me. And so I think it's our physio. So I'm like, ah, oh, Megan, my butt's a little tight there. And uh, granted, the guy knows no English. Right. And um, Luckily. And thankfully, yeah. And then I'm like, well, okay, yeah, it's not that bad. And then uh, a second later, I'm like, nope, it's moving to my back. And I'm like, I just need to stretch. And you know, that's because that's, that's all it felt like. It just felt like I just needed to stretch. Like back cramp or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, a fat man cramp? cramp. Yeah. Yeah. It just felt like I kind of had that going, but it was more near my butt. Right. And so, you know, the stretch when you're lying on your back and you have your knees in the air and you're kind of just rotating your hips left and right. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And, um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get back up. And then I went and I stood up and I said, nope, I am going back down. And at that point in time, our, um, mental performance coach is already flagging the physio because I'm obviously talking this whole time yeah. to the other two players and so she can hear me mm-hmm. and so now she's waving the physio over and i spent probably the next 10 minutes laying on my stomach because i physically could not get up and like to the point where i thought i was ready to get up and assume like just getting up on my like on all fours way too painful right and then so then i get back onto my belly and the physio's doing her magic and and then they get me in a lunge like in a half lunge and um, it ends up being, I'm holding on to our mental coach's hand and the physio Megan is now behind me with her arms under my armpit, trying to stand me up. Right. And so I get s- standing and I- Like one of those little toy army soldiers. Basically. Kind of, yeah. And, and I, I still couldn't move. Like I couldn't walk. Anytime I would move my left leg, it would just send shooting pain right up into my back. So I'm like, nope, we're just going to hang out right here. Meanwhile, your coach is- Standing by, watch, looking at his best player, unable to move. Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, he's he's literally, because, yeah, as soon as Megan came over, Trent came over, and, yeah. and so he's just staring at me. He's, you know, poor guy. Figure so, it out. Yeah, and then, um, uh, yeah, so they, they go and do, like, a little defensive drill, because I'm literally taking up the whole right side of the court, because I'm, I'm not moving. And, um, and then it got to settle down a tiny little bit, that I was able to move and get off the court. Um, and then our practice was essentially over anyway, but then our poor physio had to help strip me. Like I couldn't get my, I couldn't bend. Right. Like I physically could not bend. Like I was in tears. And um, uh, so, you know, she helps get me undressed. I, our poor physio needs a raise. The <laughs> amount of stuff she did for me that trip, man. So that was the Wednesday. And I went from doing three physio sessions from Wednesday to Saturday with her a day. Like I spent every second that we had free with the physio, um, doing physio acupuncture and it got better like kind of quickly. Right. And then it just plateaued again. Like once you sleep, eh? So everything just gets tight. Yep. And, um, so you have some improvement, but not enough to the fact that, or the point where you're like in good playing condition. Yeah. But well, you, you stop just, being in agony. Yeah. Well, and for, for a little bit. Yeah. And then, um, I was basically ruled out right from then until our first practice in the village, right. which would have been the Sunday. So this was Wednesday to the Sunday. They like, you'll do nothing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, hopefully Sunday, get you back on the court, light stuff mm-hmm. to see how it all is. Sunday rolled around. Well, and then once we got to the village, there was like right away, I had a meeting with the team doc um, and they prescribed me with various drugs to try and help things. And um, again, multiple physio sessions a day. All right. And um, so we got to speed this along because at this pace, we're not going to finish. Sunday time. rolled around. I couldn't really practice. We didn't start till I think Wednesday was our tournament. I was okay to go. So everything Gave felt good. Give it a good. try in the first game. Yep. yep. Um, halfway through the first half, I threw and I could feel it again. Right. And then so I sucked it up basically. It was the second half time I was basically saying, like, this isn't going well. Right. And, um, so yeah, or, you know, it was the, do you want to come out? I said, no. Do you need to come out? I said, probably, Maybe, yeah. um, you know, one of those things. And, and, um, so, you know, they made the call to just take me out because hopefully they could nip it in the butt because mm-hmm. we had the next day off and, um, no, it basically was no good. 
until our game against China at the end of the round robin. And even then, by the end, it was... And at that point, your your team's were in a must-win situation for that final game. So you go in and give it a try. Does it feel any better? Because you played reasonably well in that game when you finally got in there. Yeah. No, I, um, I think the adrenaline, um, everything was just running, right? right? Um, I knew it was a do-or-die thing that we had to win. And it was one of those things where I was willing to just give it my all either way. And I didn't notice it until about a minute left. Right. And then it was just, it was starting to seize up again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after the game, when the adrenaline was gone and... The pain returned. (laughs) The pain returned. Um, But it was, what was, so it was, it ended up being that it was just hard to walk and bend, really. Which is very important in our sport. Sure. Um, But it rebounded quicker this time around had we been able to play in a quarter i would i think i would have been fine right um i think it would have been about the same right where it seizes up a bit but then with everything that we were doing with medication and physio and 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 everything like the rehab was just insane um well so let me ask you and this is going to seem like an obvious question and it probably is but maybe i'm a little off maybe these things don't come around every day right? The chance to represent your country at the Paralympic Games on the highest level, right? This one gets pushed back a year. So it's another year of training. It's another year of sacrifice away from your family. Um, The gym stuff, all the work that goes into it. Uh, I know it sounds like I'm piling on here a little bit, but I want to lay this out for our listeners, right? Who maybe don't understand the commitment. You know, then the pandemic happens, training becomes that much harder. Uh, The games become that much harder. You're trying to now be a home school teacher at the same time as balancing your training and everything. You talked about the millions of meetings you had beforehand, how this is going to go, how you're going to be tested a thousand times and you get there and you can't compete. What is going through your head during those games where you're sitting on or standing near the bench (laughs) and, you know, kind of on the flight home, like take us through, like, just what does that What's happening in your mind at that point? It's hard. Like, it's insanely hard. Um, But through the whole injury, I stayed relatively positive. I think there was, at one point in time, I was starting to crack. Um, And you know what I mean? With help with the physio and and our mental coach, you know, got me right back on track. But I believed in the process, and I believed in the the plan to get me better. Mm -hmm. And it it was, ultimately, it was just poor timing, right? There was nothing we could have done but pre- any of it to prevent it. Right. And, but you know what? It was hard sitting there on the bench watching when I knew, you know, if I was playing this game could be completely different. I could help. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's dozens and dozens and dozens of games throw at throwaway tournaments in Montreal against opponents that aren't going to touch you where nothing happens. You're totally fine. And then you get to the thing that all of that was building towards and it's taken away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it completely sucks. It honestly felt like I've just wasted the last five years of my life. Um, that being said, I mean, it was poor, poor, poor timing. Um, but Bad luck. Yeah. And just how I handled it mentally, though, I think had this been two years ago or even last year um, in 2020 when it was supposed to happen, I think I would have it would have affected me a lot differently. Why? And I, I, I think just because I had that whole mental I just had a whole better mental mindset behind it all. And, um, you know, and there was at one point I was pleading with them to just let me play. And like, you could see that it was killing them to not let me, but it was like, guys were losing. Like I just put me in and they're like, well, what happened? You know, we can't mm-hmm. risk you to get even more injured to possibly still come out of this with a loss. And, and, you know, looking long term, I mean, my back is fine now. It took a, long while after getting home for it to finally yeah nothing like a back injury before a 13 hour flight or whatever it is from Tokyo (laughs) um but it was uh you know yeah like looking looking at it now I definitely am I'm very disappointed with the outcome um I'm disappointed with my performance because I mean I was shit in that Russia game but then by the time I got back in you know a week later against China like that was by far the best I felt mentally and physically throughout the whole tournament. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a big slap in the face. So let me, you're now, you're back home. Um, you said before you left Tokyo, I'm not done. 
because now there's another games that are only three years away because this one was pushed right back a year. So normally there's a four year gap. This time it's only three. Uh, you made it clear to everyone. I got a bone to pick with you about this, by the way, because the, there was things flying around that this was going to be your last game. No one really knows where that shit started or why it happened, but you hadn't made that decision yourself. And when it came time to let the world know I'm not done, you chose to do an interview with a student newspaper for a reporter with 132 followers instead of coming on your own show here and telling people. What the hell? Well, for starters, I didn't know she was a student reporter and only had 130-some followers. Yeah. So let's not get bogged down on that. But Amy, big Amy news breaks here for future reference. Okay. Okay. You decide before you come home, I'm doing, I'm going to Paris, I, you know, assuming we can qualify all these sorts of things, right? I want to try this again. Do you believe that had you played, you would have made that decision so quickly? And maybe you would have eventually come to the same decision, but maybe you come home, you talk about it, you wait a while or whatever. But is it the fact, do you think the fact that you didn't get to play contributed to you going, fuck that, this is not how I'm going out, and you make that decision right away? Uh, well, it was actually, it was an ongoing conversation with Tyler and I actually throughout the whole tournament. Right. Because um, you know what, me being injured, when I got hurt in Sapporo, you could just see the stress on him. Right. Um, like, I think he was stressing out more than I was, um, which is well, actually, which is to be fair, funny. Uh, but, again, for our listener, he's sacrificed a lot for five years too, so that you could have, yes. you could do this, right? Yeah. He's and been well, and, and he and doesn't see the, the rehab plan. He doesn't see it. You know, he doesn't see the stuff that I see and he yeah. could be playing it up more in his head. But I mean, it was stressing him out that I was barely walking. Right. And, um, and you know, I tell him ah, it's feeling okay. And he's like, well, is it actually okay? I'm like, ah, it's feeling okay. Right. And, um, so him and I were talking basically throughout the whole tournament on how, you know, but like, like Tokyo wasn't even done and we were talking about Paris. Right. So it wasn't that I made it like split in the, like that second when someone said, Hey, I heard you're retiring. It's like, well, no, fuck off. Right. Um, cause for starters that hasn't come across my mouth once, uh, which I think is just what really annoyed me. It's like, are you assuming I'm done? Cause I'm old. Cause yeah. I'm not old. I'm only 29.2. Again? Um, again. Well, yeah, you don't have a birthday during the pandemic. <laughs> okay. Um, People are going to catch on to that soon. Yeah. No one's going to be aging. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a... It was a We're all an, re-aging rapidly, actually. <laughs> granted, it was only the week and that him and I were discussing it. But I was pretty confident after Tokyo. Like, we would have had to podium for me to not want to go to Paris. Right. So, um, so it didn't really contribute that much. No, I, but I was annoyed that people were saying that I was done. Yeah. Like even even if I said I might be and I'm going to go think about it, but I hadn't even said once. So what's next in terms of you got to actually qualify for Tokyo? Um, there's a World Championships before then that you're also going to have to try and qualify for. Where is the next trip? What is the next step on getting back on the well? Getting it, back on track. It was supposed to be three about four weeks after getting home from Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, we were supposed to go to Brazil for the. It's a Pan American Games. Yeah, pushed back, still pandemic stuff. Yeah, okay. uh, that's going in February. Okay. It, it, sorry, going in quotations. Yes. Um, so who knows what that's going to happen, but that would be the qualification tournament for Worlds, which are in June. Um, Where? They're in China. So like. it's it's Brazil to try and qualify for Worlds in China, and if you were to podium in China, you'd automatically be qualified for Paris. Yeah. If not, you'd have to qualify for uh, the Paralympics somewhere else, but there's a fairly condensed three-year period coming yeah, up here. Yeah, if you don't qualify out of Worlds, you get a chance to qualify out of your uh, regional tourna- tournament, which is in Chile. Right. Um, and then there's also the catch-all tournament or whatever they're calling it, and that's in Birmingham, England. Birmingham, England. Oh, that one's kind of neat. Like, a lot of these aren't really places I want to go, but that one sounds okay. Well, I mean, what's wrong with England? I'd go to England. Yeah, you've yeah. been to England. Yeah, but I'd go to Birmingham. Right. Well, we'll... Uh, We'll keep the good listener in the loop now that you're back and less crippled up and, uh, and see how all this stuff goes, but, uh, less being the big term there. I got to tell yeah. you, I got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of messages, you know, and saying, cause I also did a couple of me, the guys over at TSN radio station had me on to talk about you and the team and stuff like that. And so after game one, when you guys lose and you come out, there wasn't a whole lot of talk, you know, you can kind of brush that off, you know, because we didn't know, Right. That, you know, maybe they'd just given up on that game, which happens in sports. You take your stops, top starter out, you know, in the second half. It still would have been odd, but not unheard of. 
and then you're not playing and you're not playing and you're not playing and you and I have talked since then and I know what's up but you don't want it getting out so I all these messages from listeners and other people you know around here in the media that we've talked to are kind of like what's the story there like what's why is this person that we were following not participating and you're like yeah I, I was being punished that's what happens know. when you let in the first goal that you yeah. just thrown at that's you. what I was trying to sell people like well there might be an injury or maybe it's disciplinary and I'm like discipline is the fucking captain <laughs> but you never know Amy's got a mouth on her and that's could have true. lipped off to just about anybody. Right? That's true. I think that's about it for this one, Amy. All right. Well, Matt, thanks for joining me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll have you on the show again one day. I would enjoy that. All right. Good. I'm glad. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Audio, Facebook.com slash Audio. Hope you'll, I should mention to the good listener, uh, they have for some reason taken our Instagram down. I logged in on Tuesday and I was like, your account has been disabled. Click Aww. this button if you want it reviewed. And You're like, disabled. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I guess, but no explanation as to why or what you might have violated or what the problem is. Just it's gone. So we're working on it. We think we're going to be able to get it back. But if you're trying to follow us or find our stuff there right now, that's why it's not happening. Uh, but hopefully it'll be back soon. Make sure you subscribe here if you're listening. Like I said, Friday morning. Graham Creech, Steve Bunda, back on the podcast to talk about UFC 267 and 268. Thanks a lot, Amy. No, Matt, thank you for joining me. And, I mean, I could have said all of that, too, but he likes to still take the brains. Get us out of here. All right, guys, see you later. Bye. I am unhappy with the confusing and, at times, confrontational nature of that meeting. I wanted it to go better. I wanted it to go better! Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at tallcanaudio.com or by searching Tall Can Audio on your favorite podcast app. When you say Tall Can Audio a lot, it starts to sound weird. <laughs>